Welcome to Beyond Dieting. We're two friends on a mission to disrupt the insanity of diet culture and replace it with something positive, life-affirming, and effective. We are talking to you if you, like us, have felt like a poster child for diet failure, or that diets work for other people, just not you, or like you just can't stick to anything, or this would work if only you were disciplined enough, blah, blah, blah. If that's you, then we are here to tell you that the problem is not you. The problem is dieting. As life coaches, empty nesters, busy entrepreneurs, and menopausal women, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness, but we do know what has worked for us and other women in our programs. What's abundantly clear to us is that there is no silver bullet diet or exercise regimen, period, full stop, and we've tried a lot of them. Stick with us as we explore a variety of doable and motivational ways you can free yourself from a lifetime of yo-yo dieting. It is possible to live a healthier, saner, and more fulfilling life you enjoy. Hi, this is Mimi. And this is Lee. In this episode of Beyond Dieting, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I am actually going to interview Lee about her personal bariatric surgery journey. Um, we really are going to be talking primarily about like her post bariatric surgery journey, I think. But before we jump into that, Lee, do you just want to, one, introduce yourself and then maybe talk a little bit about what led up to and your decision-making process in having the surgery? Okay. So I'm Lee. I'm a co-owner of Her Genius and we run you know, this program called Beyond Dieting. And I've been a, a practicing coach for, it seems like eight, like eight years. I can't even believe saying that. Um, but for about eight years, I've been coaching. We've worked a lot with women on their self-image and self-esteem. And um, because we have those issues too, <laughs> because we, you know, have, um, probably had and more in the past than now, but had negative thoughts about ourselves, our bodies. And um, I definitely, after I had my third child, um, you know, had weight that didn't get lost after that pregnancy as much as the first two pregnancies. And, but, it, you know, I was still like kind of okay, you know, I wasn't in a scary place with my weight until um, I hit about, I would say 55. And so it was hormonal. And then I had an enormous amount of stress uh, at that time in my life. And so, and that was when the pandemic hit as well. So in addition to the pandemic, I had some family issues that were hugely stressful and prolonged. Like they just went on and on and on. And um, so I did gain weight because I think the stress more than even the hormones or the pandemic, it was the stress that was going on in my family. And, um, yeah, so I reached, I reached a weight that I thought I, I can't go further than this. Like this is, I can see my health 
is not going to be great if if I stay like this. And you know, I it's so it's kind of weird because I don't spend a lot of time like talking to God. It's not like a thing I normally do, which you know, that's either neither yeah, maybe it's just neutral, it's not good or bad. But I was like, I have tried everything. I keep exercising, I I track my food, I don't feel like I eat a lot, but I am struggling here. And not only am I a weight I don't want to be, but it seems like it just goes up. And I don't understand why that's happening. Um, because people who are around me are like, you know, it's just so shocking because you don't really eat that much. <laughs> you know, people who, you know, been in my home with me, staying with me or on vacation with me could see like, I don't, I, I wasn't even actually eating like something that seemed like a shocking amount of food. Uh, although I do have a sweet tooth, but anyway, I kind of just threw it out there, you know, to God, I was raised, you know, Episcopalian. So it seemed like something I could, could do was available to me. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. So I'm just, if you're there, please just tell me what to do because I just have no idea. And um, it came in immediately. I got like this idea for getting surgery. I knew nothing about the surgery. I didn't see myself as a candidate um, for the surgery. And, um, so it was a really weird unbidden idea that came in. And I know when I do put it out there to the universe or God, sometimes the, the answers are that quick and they're new, they're new solutions. And so I had some resistance to it in the beginning, because I didn't think I was, I thought, um, weight loss surgery was for people who were much, much heavier than me and had a higher BMI than I had. And I, it also seemed, I had some of those prejudices against it where I thought it was like copping out or cheating or something ridiculous like that. Like, you know, when someone's got like a heart problem, you're not cheating when you get medical attention for that. But, you know, for some reason, I just felt like, oh, I'm just, something's wrong with me and I need to tough it out on my own. And so I had to get over some hurdles there, but um, I because because it had that um, veneer of this possibly came in from God <laughs> as an answer. I'm like, maybe I should pay attention to it. So I started researching and exploring it. Yeah. And that's interesting how you talk about um, there is this sort of idea about whether that is a right thing to do or a wrong three thing to do, you know, and I think that all of that don't you think just comes from this um irrational diet and health and fitness industry and mm -hmm. the amount of shame and guilt that is placed on somebody for weight and like how come you can't fix that? And I know you from that state and period of your life and you had a lot going on, you know, and I think it was like just a perfect trifecta of COVID, the stress in your life and, and your age and hormones. Yeah. And if you, you no surgeon is going to give you the surgery, if you're not, if you're not a candidate, no, they won't, they won't, you know, and I think there's, um, I'm just really proud of you for doing it and how you've managed mm -hmm. and, and maneuvered through the whole thing. So let's hop into some questions about, you've had the surgery, mm -hmm. <clears throat> here you are in your bed. What was it like the minute you woke up after surgery? I think I threw up. 
<laughs> it just kept throwing up uh, for for several weeks, really. <laughs> so um, I wasn't in any pain to speak of, but, you know, because you're still high on whatever they've given you. So I didn't really have any pain, but I was so nauseated. And that was, that was a hard thing for me. Were you expecting that? Like, no. had you prepared for that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody else. I had gotten in a bunch of Facebook groups to kind of just part of my research. I wanted to see people who'd succeeded and what they recommended and how they talked to each other. And nobody had mentioned nausea. <laughs> it was, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you have um, stomach surgery that possibly you would be uh, nauseated, but um, yeah, I was totally unprepared. I have to say. Yeah. Did that prolong your stay in the hospital? How long were you in the hospital post-surgery? Yeah, I, they, they sent me home on the day out. So I was there probably a little longer in the beginning because of the nausea. And then I went home and then it just got worse. And so then I had to go back in. So I was in for a total of probably 10 days um, with coming home, realizing I couldn't keep anything down. So then I had to go back in just for fluids. Um, so it was longer than expected. Yeah. Did you have um, other complications? Like they didn't, did they consider one, did they consider that a complication from the surgery? And did you have any other complications? No complications. They did a very, a very thorough testing. Um, they did all these scans to make sure everything was like hooked together and had nothing had torn apart. And, you know, they, all the blood stuff. Yeah. They, they were very thorough, but it was really just, um, the area that they stitch together can get swollen, which means, you know, you have an injury, which just your body treats surgery like an injury. It got swollen and it's in a very sensitive spot where your esophagus is. And it's also has to do with your vagus nerve. Um, and so all that swelling in there was causing, that's what the surgeon said, made sense to me. Yeah. So then they sent you home. Mm -hmm. better. Hopefully the nausea is starting to abate a little bit. Yes. And so now you are in the liquid diet stage. Mm -hmm. You go from liquid and then to soft foods. Talk about how those stages. Right. So your surgeon's going to tell you, and a lot of you, you know, listening probably have experienced these stages after the surgery, you've got to start with liquids. First, you're starting with clear, then you go to, you can, you know, just any, any kind of liquid, um, and then you move on to soft foods and each stage is, you know, one to two weeks depends on, you know, you're going to get advice from your surgeon about what to do, but, um, it was really hard because of the nausea. Like I or literally, even though they sent me home from the hospital, I had that nausea for a couple of months. <laughs> so I just, I carried a plastic bowl with me everywhere. So if I was driving, I had like the throw up bucket in the next seat. <laughs> and I just, you know, cause I had to start living my life and doing stuff. So I just carried around a, what our family calls the throw up bowl <laughs> wherever I went. So all those early stages were really, really tough. I couldn't do what, you know, they had recommended um, because I just couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't get my protein in because, you know, most people who get the surgery are told to, you know, have a lot of protein and right away, everything tasted terrible. Like all of the stuff I used to like tasted terrible to me. Um, 
And so I just didn't like a lot of things because your taste buds will change right in that early phase after surgery, you get your taste buds back, but in the early stages, everything was just nausea inducing. So I'm just going to jump into a little mindset piece real quick. How did it, how did you feel when it's like my surgeon has told me to do this and I can't do it? I felt terrible. It was really scary because they really, you know, drill it into you that, uh, this is so important for your muscle repair, tissue repair, um, and for your successes to get, start really, you know, getting the protein in. And so I was scared because I believed them and I thought I was worried about my health. Uh, I wasn't getting a lot of fluids in either. And I know how important that is. I could tell my body was just like a, a shriveling leaf and ball and, um, I was very concerned. So my mindset, you know, I kind of went to a place of fear and I had to um, talk to my surgeon about my fear. And she, she was very pragmatic and said, because um, I do think you need to stay in touch with the people in your surgical group uh, to keep reaching out for help. And I'm, I was so glad I did because she said, you know, a few weeks are not, you know, it's, it's not going to make or break this whole thing. She's like, if you can't get the protein and if you can't get the water in, you, you'll most likely live. <laughs> you know? But she said, probably for now, because we really do need water to live. We need like clear liquids to live more than the protein. She said, just try to get some liquids in. And so what I did, which was going off the plan a little bit is I would suck on fruit because you really weren't supposed to have any texture yet. So I would just get really watery fruits and just suck on them. And that started bringing me around. It started helping the nausea. I felt more fortified. I didn't feel so, you know, because you feel it if you don't have any nutrition for a few weeks, you start to, you understand that you haven't. Um, you can feel that you're weaker and that things aren't going as well. So uh, just starting to suck on fruit. And I that's not a recommendation for anyone else. That, that's just what I had to do. Yeah, that's, that's it's always good advice to hear what works for other people. And I think it's also good um, for anyone that's had the surgery to know that these fears and these symptoms and not being able to get it all in is normal. I mean, we coach women and that's one of the things we hear the most mm -hmm. is that like, I can't get all my water and I can't get all my protein in mm -hmm. Take that advice, like talk to your surgeon and then do the best you can. You got to find a strategy that works. Gotta for find you. a strategy. So how much did you lose in that first month? And so well, because of my, I, a lot of people do. I mean, I know just from reading all the notes from all the other people who get the surgery that People lose just shocking amounts in those first few weeks. Um, and I, I within really within two weeks lost 20 pounds because of the knot, you know, mine just went, just dropped off. And then, you know, in the first month, it was probably almost 30 pounds. And again, I had less, like my BMI was the lowest it could be. And I'm five foot two. So, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of weight for me, for my frame. Some people though, they're dropping, you know, in those first few weeks or the first month, sometimes like 80 pounds. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Just I think we off. just were working with somebody who said they lost 60 in the yeah. first couple of mm -hmm. 
months, which is really amazing. And um, most of us have been on and off diets our whole life. And we know that excitement when you first start of all of those pounds that go off. Yeah. And then the longer that you continue to lose weight, the more likely it is that you're going to hit a stall or a plateau or a reset period. How, how, how did you maneuver through your first stall? Well, the first stall for a lot of people happens in the first two months, somewhere in that time frame. It could be earlier, it could be later in that two month time frame, but that's when a lot of people report having their first stall. And um, the thing I needed to know about that, and I think everybody needs to know about that, is it's really normal. You know, your body is trying to keep you alive, and you've just lost upwards of 30 to 80 to more pounds in a very short amount of time. And your body is like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, what is wrong with this person? You know, they must be in like really challenging external circumstances. Like there's a famine or a war and your body's like, let's just, let's just hang on to what we got for a bit. And um, so it was important for me to understand that was normal. So I was so glad that I had been reading a lot um, because I think one of the first things we help help our clients with is normalizing what they're feeling and experiencing that is normal for these things to happen. It's normal to have a stall. So I think normalizing it helped to neutralize the fear you know, cause I did start having fears, you know, they're there, whether you want them to be or not, even if you're a coach, even if you're very practiced at mindset work, the fears are there. And it's like, oh my God, you know, it just stopped. How long, how long will this go on? And I also knew I still wasn't eating very much. Cause I, I struggled with that nausea for quite some time. So it's like, well, how can I not lose weight if I'm not eating anything? <laughs> I don't get it. So it does freak your brain out. Your brain has a freak out for sure. Yeah. Um, I think too, like part of the reason we work so hard to normalize this is if you stay in that stress and fear area and keep those cortisol levels, mm-hmm. I, it makes it even harder, right. To start to, yes, yes. That's to shed the weight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sad that, but, but true, you know, that you have to take responsibility for calming your fears. If you want a good result, that's something that You've got to just, if you've never taken responsibility for that before, and you just allowed yourself to spin out on fear and anxiety, now is the time, you know, post-surgery, even before surgery, you know, it's time to start to learn how to get in touch with those fears and then understand that you do have the capability to calm yourself. And I, I definitely had to be digging into my coaching toolkit a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we've really been talking a lot about the physical things that you were experiencing and what was happening to your body, but because I've been so close to you throughout this journey, um, I know that there were also a lot of mental and emotional challenges that you were facing. Um, Do you think that your training has a coach is what has allowed you to experience so much success post-surgery? Because you're doing amazing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't even know where I would be without the training that I've had and the many years of, you know, helping others and seeing how this mindset stuff works. And I 
I don't even want to know where I'd be if I hadn't had that. Because even with all the training, even with all the you know gold standard tools that I use to calm myself down and to work with my own mindset, I still struggled. You know, there, there are challenging moments that come up during this journey. And, you know, the stall being one of the biggest, hardest things for people. And, and then the fear that you will just gain it back. There are all kinds of negative thoughts that just or zooming back and forth like a big highway in your head. And you've got to know, first of all, you don't have to believe the thoughts. And then you you get to choose what thoughts do you want to believe. And look for, look for, I suggest, look for things that are positive and hopeful <laughs> as your replacement thoughts. You know, first you got to notice that, okay, I think I'm having some fear thoughts. I think I'm thinking something that's negative. Maybe I could think something positive. You've got to start that part of your brain and that muscle of noticing when that's happening. And then, you know, what we teach is like, then what do you do? What do you do once you notice? Yeah. What were some of the biggest mindset shifts that you made? Can you remember in the early stages, you know, what were some of the negative thoughts that you had and how did you shift them to a more healthy way Mm -hmm. of thinking? Well, one, one reality for men and women who go through this is that your brain still thinks the way you see yourself is all in your head. You think it's about the mirror. You think it's about your dress size. You think it's about, you know, the measuring tape and your measurements or whatever. You think it's this number on the scale, but really the way you feel and think about yourself is taking place inside your brain. And so even though on the outside, you're changing really quickly and the scale numbers are changing really quickly and your measurements are changing in your, in one's own mind, there's a feeling that you're still obese or whatever. And, um, I didn't, yeah, I had read people talking about, you know, body dysmorphia. I had definitely seen people talking about it, but to go through it is quite another thing, uh, it's weird. It's weird when it happens because you have very encouraging data in front of you on your scale, measuring tape, clothing size, you know, clothes falling off that used to fit or be tight. So you have real hardcore data, but in the brain, um, it hasn't caught up. And so that, that can really mess people up too. And so I had, at least I understood what was happening and I could, I really learned, this is when I learned that relying on data is so important and you have to learn to trust the data and kind of get out of the part of your brain. That's a little bit stuck into your old identity as somebody who needs to lose weight or too fat or something. Uh, So that was one of the first big hurdles. And I still, I still struggle with it. You know, it's, I think um, once those thoughts are wired into your brain, that those highways in your brain are still kind of there, even if you jump to new highways to try to develop more positive ways of thinking, you know, it's still there a little bit. So even now, I, I was telling Mimi this, that I went to buy some clothes for the fall and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, weird. Is that me? You know, because I was much thinner than I thought. And I could see the data in front of my eyes. And my brain was like, huh? 
you know, I, so it's still a little funky that way, but I think knowing that that's normal. So it's normalizing once again, normalizing, neutralizing, and then trusting the data, like get on board with the data in that case, instead of your feelings and your thoughts. I just want to step back to the comment or the story where Lee was sharing that she was looking in the mirror and she goes, and you know how dressing rooms have thin mirrors. And I was like, no, no, I've never stood and looked at myself in a dressing room mirror and thought, oh, thank heavens. They've got a thin mirror that's making me look thinner. I've only ever thought they need to fix the lighting in here and the mirror. I know that's not me. But that yeah. was like that was still like your mind saying, "Oh, it must be like." Mm -hmm. But then you were able to sink back in. Oh no, the data is telling me. Yeah, it's like I check the size the on the clothes. Yeah, I do a double take all the time. I like check the tag again. Like, oh, is is this really the size? I think it is. This, you know, they must have a really nice mirror, one of those nice mirrors, <laughs> and that that is exactly the stuff that. I think that people deal with after the surgery, definitely I've just had a hard time believing reality sometimes. And it's just fascinating really that our brains do this to us. Yeah. So were there any mindset tools um, that were helpful has, like you were talking about the weight, you know, that's so much quicker at the beginning, which, mm -hmm. you know, is natural that the less weight you have to lose, the slower that process is going to be. Were there some mindset tools that you have learned as you got towards closer to your goal weight, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yes. In terms of actual mindset work and tools, um, I really leaned into our four question process that um, we teach based on Byron Katie's work and her four questions. So and we've done podcasts on this, but just for people listening, if they haven't listened to that or they don't know who Byron Katie is, um, she's been around for a long time and she developed this method, this four question method that you, it's self-inquiry. You're asking yourself to challenge your own thoughts and you don't do it on positive thoughts. You do it on the thoughts that are plaguing you, that feel negative and hurt you and, and make your emotions less good. And so you know, I leaned heavily into, so it, it would go something like this. Like if the thought was, you know, I'm just stuck now, now I'll never lose any more weight. <laughs> um, you know, then I would, the four questions, like, is that true? And then sometimes, you know, you're allowed to ask that twice, but because sometimes you're like, yes, it's true. I'll never lose weight again. Like that's what you really are thinking and feeling. And then the next question is, is it absolutely true? Is it a hundred percent true that you'll never lose weight again? And then you kind of sit with that and then it's like, well, okay, it's not absolutely true. And then, you know, how do you react? So I would ask myself, I write this down and do this, you know, in written form, you know, my little journal, you know, how do I react when I believe that thought I'll never lose weight? And, you know, not surprisingly, you, you don't act in very helpful ways. And then you change your, this is where you do kind of the shift. Who would I be without that thought? And amazing things happen when you ask yourself that question. It's, it's almost magical because you, your imagination is very powerful. And suddenly it takes on that question. Like, what would that be? That weird world be like, if I didn't think that. And your imagination is very powerful. It shows you, and it even um, tells your body 
your body reacts to it in terms of how you, how much tension you're carrying, um, whether or not you have knots in your stomach or a headache, uh, your body will change in instantaneously when you ask yourself, who would I be without that thought? So I, I've leaned heavily and Mimi's watched me lean into that over this past summer because I had a long stall. Um, and, and then relying on the data once again, because when I looked at my actual tracking of my weight, I had lost weight this summer. It just was very, very slow. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it just, um, I think I wouldn't think of it initially as a mindset tool, but I think re relying on real hard, hard, fast data is a mindset tool sometimes because we get in this weird space in our head where we think it's different. So thinking about data and your reliance on data and facts, what has changed about your relationship to the scale? Because your scale is just pure data, right? It's mm. it, it can send us into feelings and make our mindset spin, but how has your relationship with your scale changed? Well, because I'm leaning into my mindset tools and using the data to learn new things, you know, to observe patterns, to observe what happens with my body over time, I've learned a lot about the scale and what it will tell me um, and sort of the patterns on weight loss. Like I noticed that if I drop a bunch of weight, um, then my body is probably going to level out for a little bit. And it might even pop up another pound or two because it's like, do you really want to lose all this weight? Is she in trouble again? You know, is she in starvation mode again? Because your body's just trying to keep you alive. And so I've learned that my body, if I if I do drop, you know, like suddenly drop four pounds, um, my body might jump back up two for about a week or even two weeks. And then it'll finally feel comfortable at that new lower level. And then I'll be at that new lower level for a while. And so it, it is just trusting that your body can do it, trusting that you can do it, working with those four questions a lot. Um, but the, so I would say with the scale, it's just data. It's not a mean thing that's trying to taunt me in the morning when I step on it. Yeah. Is that how you felt about it in the past? That it was an adversary and now it sounds like it's, it's more, more of a partner? Like I, felt, I felt like... It was t totally unknowable what it would say. What I've learned is it is knowable. You can know what it's going to say and why. Before it was almost like, um, I'm thinking of that movie Big with Tom Hanks where he goes to that um, machine and wants like an answer. <laughs> it was more like this mystical woo-woo contraption in my bathroom where I could stand on it and it could give me like totally unpredictable advice or, you know, feedback. And I've learned that it is far more predictable than I used to think. And I can know why I can understand why this is happening. And it's more scientific than it used to be. Yeah. And that's good because it's in that knowing why that helps you take action. Mm -hmm. like yes. either continue the good action that you're taking or mm -hmm. yeah that's really yeah. good um so let's talk about food okay really about food um what has changed with how you think about food how you pay attention to what you eat 
how you track what you eat? So I still enjoy food a great deal. Like I wanted to say that first, that at the end of the day, you know, after this long process, you know, I eat stuff every day that I really like, you know, and so I've learned the big lesson I've learned is that I can eat and enjoy food and life and lose weight. So that's, that's a really wonderful thing to discover. Um, but I did have to learn some skill sets that I had never really fully utilized before for longer periods of time, you know, to really make it a habit. So I do measure my food now because I've learned that my brain is a slippery place. You know, it can think I'm heavier than I am. It can think the mirror is a magic mirror. You know, <laughs> you know, my brain is going to do some weird stuff sometimes in relationship to you know, my journey with food, the scale, et cetera. So um, I measure my food. I know I track it. I know exactly what I'm having. So again, it's not this big mysterious, like I could never know possibly like how much food I had, <laughs> you know, and, and it's weird that I even thought that before, but it's really helped me to measure and um, understand exactly what the weight of the food is or the measurement of the food is. And you would think that that would be like a punitive restrictive way to deal with food, but it's been a lifesaver for me. It makes me feel sane about what's happening because in those moments when I'm in a stall, if I hadn't measured and tracked so carefully, I might think I'm just messing up. But because I've measured and tracked so carefully, I can look back and not feel bad about myself because I know I've done the right thing. And then I'd have to just use our self-calming tools where we kind of bring our blood pressure down and the cortisol levels down. And then I can breathe, you know, like just wait, just keep doing what you're doing or tweak one thing here or there. If you notice something, you know, something you want to tweak about, you know, the ratio protein to fat or whatever, you know, when you can calm down, you can actually look at it more scientifically. And, you know, as an observer, as a food detective is what we call it. But yeah, so I'm more of a food detective and I enjoy my food. I don't feel restricted. Yeah. Is there, have you said, oh, I just can never have this food again. Is there anything that you have put off limits totally? Not really, but I would say in terms of what I keep in the house, because, you know, sugar was felt like an addiction, you know, for so long that, um, and I, I, I knew ways to get out of it before the surgery. Like I would start substituting things in and not keeping things in the house there. It is true that I can't keep everything in the house. I have to understand what are my support foods in the house and have them there at all times. And I do allow sweets, but they're very specific sweets that don't trigger me into wanting to have more than I had planned. So I, but if I'm out, if I'm at an event or traveling, I might, you know, can't really think like I would never buy a cake and bring it into the house. That's one thing I would never do um, on a daily basis. I would just not have that in my house, but let's say I'm out or in an event where they're serving cake, I would probably take a bite of it. You know, I wouldn't, eat a lot of it, but I, I would allow my, if I wanted it, if I felt like I wanted it, then I would have a bite. 
That's good. I think that's important, right? Anytime you feel like something's totally off limits, like our brain is like, oh, <laughs> I need it. I need it. That's why um, I keep some sugar on hand in the house. I even start my day with it's, it's great. Like people around me are like, are you really eating your donut this way? But I get like a munchkin sized kind of whole foods donut. And I just nibble a little bit of the sugar on it. I don't eat even the whole munchkin size, but for me, and I, don't, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but cause you have to find what works for you. But for me, it tells my sugar addict brain that sugar is not off limits to me and it works. And I, I don't really want to eat the rest of the donut. I, I don't want to eat them the rest of the day. So I had to figure out what could I keep in the house that I could just have a teeny bit of that wouldn't pick me into some kind of binging. And so that's a, you know, a journey everybody has to go on to figure out what can I keep in the house? What can I have a little of and be satisfied? And that's part of what we help you guys do if you're in our programs. Yeah. And I think that's amazing advice. And I think um, it's something that everybody should recognize. Part of why the diet industry doesn't work is because they say, this is the only thing you can, there's only this one way that mm -hmm. this particular diet is promoting. And just hearing you say, you know, everybody has to figure out what works for them. This mm -hmm. is what works for me. So you figure out what works for you with that kind of detective yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant advice. Um, so if you had to offer one piece of advice to someone who is, let's say like a month or so out, or maybe even five years out, you know, what would that advice be? And would you have the same advice for somebody that was one month out as opposed to somebody that was five months out or would, would they need totally different? I think if they've come into our group, which is called beyond dieting, you know, if they've made their way into our group, you know, somebody who's five years out is scared of weight regain, or they've gained a few pounds, they want to get it back off. And they kind of want to reverse what's happened. I know from experience and also working with people, um, people who've struggled with their weight, if they see they're gaining weight or at a stall or those early days after the surgery in that first month, um, there is slightly different advice, but I would say there's always this fear component for both groups that when your brain goes into scary thoughts and fear thoughts and doomsday thoughts and hopelessness, um, that's what you want to work on first. You won't be able to do anything else very well for very long unless you can deal with the fear because um, the the stress hormone, cortisol, and, you know, lots of other things are going on, you know, adrenaline, because you're going into kind of a fight or flight, freeze or fawn, and, or, and all the other <laughs> Fs that go with the fear brain. And when you're in that state of mind, it, that state of mind is meant to save you from, you know, a charging bear. And it's not meant to be day after day after day with a non-life-threatening sort of monster, which, you know, for people who have gained a lot of weight is food and even their ability and their capability becomes kind of a monster. They're not sure they can actually do it. So I think reducing fear is the very first thing a person needs to work on before, before they can really dig into some other tools. So that would be the common advice. I think for somebody just out of surgery, 
It's uh, trusting the process, staying in really tight touch with your doctors, you know, don't sit at home wondering, like go ahead and reach out and utilize their advice. And, um, and then, then if for some reason you, your doctor feels really like they're just not on the mark, you can always get a second opinion from a different doctor. Um, so just trust the process and, and also use your medical support that you have available. And then for somebody five years out, 10 years out, if you've had some weight regain, um, you know, it's about dropping the fear and then really trusting that you can do it. You can lose the weight again. It's not impossible. You did it before and you can learn some new ways. If you learn to work with your mindset and learn to be a better food detective, you can absolutely do this. Well, thank you, Lee. I just want to say that was, um, I'm always amazed at how open and honest and transparent you are in all of the aspects of your life. I think that's a really good place to kind of wrap up. And you had a great song for the end of this podcast. Do you want to share that? Yeah. You know, who knows why these songs come in, but uh, we were thinking, well, what's a good song for this? And we were thinking, well, it's about getting support, you know, from maybe people who've gone through what you, you've gone through. And so I thought of the song Lean On Me with Bill Withers. Such a great song. That's a great song. Yeah. That's so we have one. a um, Spotify playlist that you can go to. And um, and I just want to say, we'll make sure um, Lee referenced the Byron Katie. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll put a reference to that in the show notes. And um, we appreciate you being here and listening to us today. And we will see you in the next podcast. Bye. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening. In fact, if this resonated with you and you know someone else who needs to hear this, please share our episodes. We would just love that. We also would love it if you would follow, subscribe, and rate our channel because this lets us know you're actually there and it helps us show up in searches, which would be awesome. Please be a part of our community and mission to help as many women as possible free themselves from diet culture so that they can go beyond dieting.